Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Kira. Marler, it just meant more. It just meant Marler, really, is what uh, this Yeah, is all you know about. what? And it's about damn time, Connor. I'll say it right off the top. That's not worth the bleep button, right? No, no. Okay, good. It's... Just making sure. Um, yeah, right off the top, I'm, I'm fired up because we finally get to do a game where you didn't get to see Alabama lose. Um, which I know, after seeing your tweet today about that little dog painted as a tiger, first you're of really all, upset about. First of all, Tiger Jake is not painted. Tiger Jake is dyed. It is an every eight-week treatment oh that is very extensive. And this year, no need for that. Don't need to go down that road, though I did provide unbiased journalism um, <laughs> viewpoints because I also tweeted out Ring Guy, so just yeah, saying, kind of on both sides His with that. His name's Shannon Via, but yeah, sure, absolutely. Yes, yes, but known to the masses as Ring Guy. Fair enough. Um, here's the deal. So we had discussed, because we were talking about yet another Bama loss last week on Adjustment More. We did the 1982 Iron Bowl, bow over the top. Everybody knows how that went. We have done three Alabama games, one of which was actually a Bama win. The first the very one, first one we did. The very first one we ever did was the 2012 SEC Championship, Bama and Georgia. A very, very classic game. So we have not done a Bama win since then. So what I told you was if we could do that 82 Iron Bowl, that I would let you choose any game, any game that you wanted to do for at a, a time to be named later, and right. you waited one whole week, and <laughs> you chose 2013 Bama on the road in College Station against Johnny Manziel's A&M team. Yes, that happened. And to be fair, this wasn't this wouldn't have been my first choice. Um, I I did the the correct thing. I think like the the nice thing. I reached out to the masses. I asked the audience, our Facebook audience, what they thought would be best, what they wanted to see most. Between, like, um, two games, though, right? Yeah, between two games. <laughs> um, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of different games. It was two games. Um, but I – and part of the reason I did this was to prove a point, which I thought I had already done. And then I got your stupid text back this morning, and I was like, see, tell me this wasn't a better game than the 2012 game. Because it is – and it's not up for debate. And you go, well, it depends on who you ask, or I don't remember what you said because I was so in. I was so angered as soon as you didn't say yes, and then period. I said there are definitely there are many ways in which this is a better game, but it also depends on your perspective of what is considered a better game. Because I think in terms of the down to the wire moments, the 2012 A&M Bama game is actually a little bit better in that regard. You had the interception at the end. That's kind of like all coming to this moment where you actually have like legitimate drama in the final yeah. two minutes. And I guess technically you do have drama, but AM scores this touchdown at the very end. Spoiler alert to make it a one touchdown game. Technically you do have drama? No, I'm saying t- drama at the end. I'm, I'm okay. just talking about like yeah. the, the end of game drama is, yeah. in my opinion, is better than in 2012 than it was in 2013. Just because the... Bama lost. The, well, the let, no, I'm saying like the Manziel touchdown that he gets with... 15 seconds left to make it a one touchdown game. AM was still, you know, in need of recovering an onside kick and then a potential score at the end in order just to force overtime, whereas there was more drama associated with the way that it ended in 2012. Not, it doesn't matter for me who wins or, you know, I didn't, I don't have any sort of like feelings mm-hmm. about 2012 Bama or 2012 mm-hmm. AM, but 
There are many ways in which, yes, you, Marler, are absolutely correct because this game is even more high scoring. There's nearly 1,200 yards of offense in this game in the SEC. What a, 1,100 what a of it from Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans. That's <laughs> it. Was it, it was? I just think I think it was a better game, and I I don't think I'm saying that because Bama won. I think that a lot of I think that on the opposite side of that, the reason why everyone thinks that that other game was see, think about this. The other game, the final score was what, 29-24, right? A&M was up 21-0 in the first quarter. And 20 the rest to of the game, sure, 20 to nothing. So the rest of the game, they get a touchdown and a field goal, I think. Yeah. Um, and the touchdown wasn't until, I believe, late in the third or early, I think it was actually early fourth, uh, on that uh, corner route he threw um, with like, I don't know, I think it was like 12 minutes ago. Anyway, there... That game, in my opinion, is not as exciting as this one, which is, I think, what you have to remember, too, is, and, and I think this will make more sense for Bama and A&M fans who, who kind of lived through it, and that's this. This entire offseason was unlike, I know we say this a lot, but unlike anything we had ever seen in the SEC. The buildup was this, great. The yeah. buildup was incredible. And so you had this entire offseason where Menzel's coming back from this, this Heisman Trophy season. He's this very polarizing figure. Um, that people, for the most part, don't like. I mean, just are not a fan of, right? Um, unless you're an A&M fan. And, and even some of them. You remember the yeah. article that came out in the A&M student newspaper where I can't remember the exact headline, but it was basically like, move along, Johnny. To like, leave. Right. Just leave. Because he had the, the tweet about, can't wait to leave, leave College Station and all that stuff. Yes, he burned a lot of bridges. And, yeah. and we've talked about this before because this is the third Mansell game that we've done right? where we had the scene at SEC Media Days that was just unlike anything after this entire off-season of drama. And so you have all of those things, all of the things that had happened since that last game that he had against Bama, which really was the pinnacle for his high right. campaign. All the things that had happened since then including on the Bama side as well, where Bama goes out and wins its second consecutive national championship. It's number one in the country entering this 2013 season. And it is such a great a great matchup side-by-side -side for those reasons in itself. But you also have, okay, well, A&M won this game last year, and now in 2013, this game's being played at College Station. So right. it feels like it'd be a little bit different if it was vice versa and if this mm -hmm. game was being played in Tuscaloosa in 2013. But instead, it's at College Station. And if yeah. you're an A&M fan, I mean, I was trying to look back and, and figure this out. This is A&M's biggest home game since at least 1998. When they were playing a late season game Texas. against Mizzou, oh. actually against Mizzou, it was like they were they were they were number six in the country, and it was you know two games against it was a game against two you know involving two top fifteen teams, and oh by the way, um, the offensive coordinator for RC Slocum in that game, Steve Cragthorpe, the guy oh, wow. who was at the center of the A and M LSU fight involving Kevin Falk and Jim Lopez's right. nephew. Fun fact there, but maybe not even that. Maybe this game is even. Bigger. And I, the only reason yes. that I give that I pause to say that it's not is because it's only September and there are still so many. It's not like, you know, a mid-November game where A&M is like, hey, we need to win two games in order to have a chance to win the national championship. September, though, was what allowed the, was what allowed for us to talk about this the entire offseason. Off that was being, great. Like, and Bama play opens up with Virginia Tech in Atlanta and struggles and struggles and especially struggles on the outside, like uh, in throwing the football because of 
Kyle Fuller and his brother. I forgot his other his brother's name. But these this very physical uh, team from Virginia Tech, and it was like, oh my gosh, they're coming off two national championships. You kind of expect them to be kind of invincible. They they they're bringing. A, they have so much talent. Like at the time, you thought just so much talent. And how is this? How is anyone going to beat them? But you have this because at the time it wasn't like you didn't have the whole thing against Saban about well he can't stop the spread offense. That hadn't that had not come into play yet. He struggled against Manziel, but he struggled against Manziel on these broken plays and these crazy you know different plays. The kick six and Nick Marshall had not happened yet. Um, Ole Miss hadn't happened yet. Ole Miss hadn't happened yet. So you still had this very invincible feeling as a Bama fan, and. And you go the entire offseason. I will never forget the amount of panic cleaning I did for this. And I, I, I usually joke around about this. <laughs> this is this is 2013. So I asked Ali. I said, "Hey, you, I want to like you want to watch this with me. Which one would you rather watch? 2014 Iron Bowl, which also had a lot of panic cleaning, or 2013 A&M?" And she's like, "Well, Chris, 2013 you always say is the worst year of your life. So why don't we do any year but that?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's a good plan." And then I reached out on Facebook, and everyone was like, "2013." And I was like, "Let's go there." So we go, we go back and we go to the 2013 game. And I, I distinctly remember this because I was at my apartment. Huge game. A huge game. And for Bama, not really a lot of big games that season besides LSU and this because, you know, like there weren't that many teams that were on the schedule that were going to beat them. Up so until have, the Iron Bowl, yeah. You don't have to say that. You, Sorry. You're, oh, man. I'm going to fight you in public. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, anyway. What is wrong with you? Sorry, so anyway, I do. No one thought Auburn was even any. So, they actually said it in the thing. It's not, I'm, it's not my Oh, I get what take. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But somebody brought up there were like, if they lo- if they win this game, who's going to beat them? And, and and I forgot who was even mentioned, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, Auburn. But anyway, so, you have, you've really thrown me off here because I can't I can't. <laughs> um, but anyway, you have this whole thing where you have the offseason where it's, it's just about Manziel and it's just about this game. And, and oh, by the way, A.J. McCarron comes into this game as a two-time national champion, had thrown 30 touchdowns and three interceptions the year before, which is a school record. And so there's just the ultimate buildup. And as we'll, as we'll get into it, I, I've, I've spent months and months and months hearing about Manziel and hating him, just hating him. I was working on a sports bar at the time, so it was all that was on the TVs, mm-hmm. just the entire offseason. And you come out and you go down 14 nothing. I was livid. I was oh, we'll livid. get to that. We yeah. will get to that, no doubt about it. The game of the year, though, in college football. There is, uh, There are very few games in which you can circle in early September and know that it's going to live up to the billing. It's one thing to hope that a matchup sets up well, but you know, we in the media we can't really talk about these these games that are in like you know late November as much. It's you know we've talked a lot about LSU Bama the last couple of years mm-hmm. and how both of those teams. It's really been you know they've they've gained so much so much attention as the season has gone all gone along leading up to those matchups. It's right. you can't really like you're not going to get a quote about Saban you know Saban talking about LSU in the off season right. because he's like we got two months of football before then I I totally get that but it's a little bit different when you know that A and M's got a couple of cupcakes beforehand and Bama only has one one game, game. had the bye week before this game as well so it worked out in a way that you know unlike last year where they're playing this game in November because of the timing. It set the stage so well Bro. for that wild 2013 offseason. They are also, and this cannot be this cannot be emphasized enough, they're also not playing this game in November the week after LSU. Sure. And the reason that's important is because, and this, this was a big thing, especially then, was you would talk about how close those games were. Because keep in mind, 2008 game is it goes to overtime. 2000, 
seven game was actually uh, like I think LSU scored 14 points in the final three minutes to win. 2009 was uh, was wait 2009. Bama Bama won that one in LSU. I'm trying to. This is an edition of Stump Marler in which you're stumping yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, but what happened that year? Anyway, but but you have these these games that are super close. You have the the six three game, all that kind of stuff. That was you. They would talk about how like just the physicality of that game, and people were so bruised and beat up the following week. How the, the each team would look the week after, and that was something that was a big factor. And, and Bama had won that game against LSU in like the like the last minute of the game, and then goes and plays A and M, and is kind of like checked out. So you don't have any of that going into. You have your full focus, and as we're gonna get started right now. You go down 14 nothing. Marler, did you bet on this game? Do you remember the spread for this game? I do not. No. Mm. Uh, I did not if, bet on this game, but I would have. If you were betting on this game, where's a good place that you could probably do that? Bro, go to bet online right now. I've, I had a great morning, and not only did I get to watch a game where Bama finally won, um, but I did it while playing a little poker tournament in the background. Ended up finishing seventh. I was a little Six bit upset. Brag. But won myself like four hundred and eighteen dollars, give or take. Ooh. That being said, you can do the same, guys. Watch these games, play some poker in the background, whatever you want to do. Uh, go to betonline.ag today. We're obviously going to have a football season. Um, we are going to. We're not having media days. All right. I know. I know. It's fine. Um, but we are going to have a football season, and like we've been saying, you can get over to betonline.ag today. You can start betting on team win totals, who's going to win the Heisman, who's going to win the National Championship, or, you know what, dabble a little bit in some Korean baseball. I don't know. Regardless of what you're doing, get over to Bet Online today. Set up an account. Make yourself some money, just like me. There you go. I'm so glad that you were able to, to knock that out of the park because I thought I'd just put it on a tee for you. And if you had said, in response to me asking the question, oh, where's a good, where's a good place that you should have bet on this game? If you had said, I don't know, the internet, I would have been very upset with you. Yeah. Very, very yeah. upset. So... Way to crush that one. Thank you. Let's start with the cast. We have a lot of people that we need to get through here. And we've talked about some of these people in the past. So don't think of this as like, hey, you know, we're ignoring this person or something. We've done a lot of these now. And there's been a lot of overlap, obviously, with this time frame from 2013, 2014. So if we don't spend as much time talking about one specific player, it's probably because we've already hit on them in the past. Yeah. Let's, let's start with Saban, though, because the timing of this is interesting. Can you imagine having to face Saban where he's coming off two national titles and it's a revenge game and he's got a bye week to prepare for you on top of the entire offseason? Yeah, how much time do you think they spent in the entire that offseason preparing for AM? So, and that's a good question, and I'm glad you brought it up because I remember McElroy saying something about the 2009 Florida game where. By the time they got to the 2009 Florida game, Florida was ranked number one, Bama was ranked number two, and it was a rematch the year before, one versus two. McElroy said they came out in the game, and he was like, oh, we've already seen all of this. Or they were going over film that week, and he was like, we've seen all of this in practice all season long. And Saban and the, team, or the coaching staff had been slowly preparing them all year. I guarantee you that a majority of what they were going over in the offseason and film and all that had everything to do with this. I, I mean, I, like Blake Sims was a quarterback at the time. I guarantee you Scout Blake team. Sims... Yeah, I guarantee you he was the scout team quarterback for this week especially. Um, it just, there was a lot of stuff, I think. There was so much riding on this game, but at the time, again, remember, so Bama had won three titles in four years, and all they would talk about is, you give Saban that much time. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to come out fired. He's, it's going to be, it's disaster for the other team. 
Saban entering this game was 15-2 at avenging losses if you include his time at LSU, which is important because obviously in this game he improves to 16-2 in that category. And you think about why it's so difficult to beat him two years in a row <laughs> and why they probably would have built a statue for Hugh Freeze had he been around, <laughs> allowed to stay around. But it's just not an easy thing to do, as Kevin someone learned that day. The crazy thing was, though, so you throw out a number like that and you think, oh, yeah, you know, obviously Bama was just going to unleash hell that day. Mm-hmm. The, here's, a, here's a wild stat to consider. In the 11 games that Alabama played before the Iron Bowl, this was the only time that the defense allowed more than 17 points, and AM had 42 points on this day. In the seven games that followed this, Alabama allowed a total of 43 points. Not the finest hour for Kirby Smart and company, but, and those 42 points, by the way, were the most ever allowed for a Saban coach yeah. Bama team. This was, in a way, okay, there are, mo- there are things about this game you could kind of compartmentalize and say, peak Saban. This is when he's at his best, going on the road. He doesn't have necessarily the hype, even though obviously he's got the two national championships. It's all on Manziel. And all he does is come up with a great game plan to be able to figure this out. But then you're like, wait a minute. You look at those numbers, and it wasn't necessarily what you would come to expect from a Saban coach team in revenge-type games. No, and I think at the very end of it, that makes the most sense. They, it was it was kind of similar to the year before, to be honest. They came out in the first quarter and put mm-hmm. up a majority of their yards and points, and then, well... They put up a lot of points in the latest part points. of the fourth quarter. Yeah, but at the time, like I mean, if you're going to the fourth quarter, this game wasn't that close. It was like 35 to 14, I think, going yeah. into the fourth. Um, but and, and A&M scored 14 points on their first two drives of the game. Very similar to the year before, where they put up their 20 points in the first quarter. They put up a bunch of yards in the first quarter, and then you know, Bama kind of started to figure it out. Like I, I don't know what happened. It's like Bama finally started to somewhat figure it out, and then it just became the Manziel and Mike Evans show. Mm-hmm. And, and God, just Kirby Smart. I just, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like not a fan of his now. But when you watch these games, and I'm just looking at him like, bro, how the hell did you do that? And then I see, I look on the field, and I see Trey DePriest and Adrian Hubbard, and we'll get to them later. Two of my least favorite players in the history of Alabama football, um, in the Saban era. And this, oh man, Trey DePriest. Real quick, Trader Priest, middle linebacker, number 33. If you go back and watch this game, he is built like quarantine me. He's like <laughs> six oh, feet goodness. tops and just like, oh, bro, what have you been doing? He's not he's not like getting on the Peloton. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Kevin Sumlin. He is in year one without Cliff Kingsbury. This really wasn't a great offseason for Kevin Sumlin. It really yeah. wasn't. And, yeah, part of that is the the Wright Thompson story that came out about Johnny Manziel and talking about kind of the lack of control that it seemed like someone had and how he didn't seem to quite have the hands-on approach that Manziel needed at that point in his career coming off of that unbelievable redshirt freshman year in which he wins the Heisman. And, you know, that's part of it, but it's kind of the first chink in the armor that he might not be the forever guy if he can't yep. handle a star like that. And I, I'm not putting all the blame on Kevin Sumlin because Johnny Manziel made the decisions that he made. And I think a lot of the circumstances surrounding that just did not help him and it did not mesh well with his personality. But you look at like 
who could have maybe steered him in the right direction. And Kevin Sumlin just hasn't typically been that type of coach. That's not yeah. been his his mo. He he has different skills and different things that he brings to the table. But if you remember, as you know, we did in the, the when we talked about that Mizzou game to end the year, he ended this regular season with an extension. So obviously, even though this season, as we know for AM, didn't work out the way that they were hoping, and they end up finishing four and four in the SEC, Kevin Sumlin still benefited from this 2013 year, despite the fact that it was deemed a disappointment. And this was the beginning of the oh, Kevin Sumlin's not really that good of a November coach and maybe right. this was this game is kind of a microcosm for how things went for him where you feel like man if you have those first I don't know 20 plays 20 plays scripted and they're all going so well and you talk about them getting out to that 14 nothing lead the good coaches can make those adjustments and they can still find a way to to be able to succeed and they, they did that in this game don't get me wrong but where were the adjustments to be able to to stop the bleeding at that point right. I always I always always say good coaches know how to stop the bleeding 35 straight points isn't exactly stopping the bleeding. No, and I tell you what, this I remember saying this when it happened, and I remember watching it back this time and knowing the very first play Alabama had. They're down 7 nothing. They, they Christian Jones, I don't know what he was doing on that kickoff return, but they got the ball backed up at like their 12-yard line. T.J. Yeldon, I mean, just knife through butter, runs for like a 7-yard gain. And I was like, there is absolutely no way that this defense can stop us. Like, there's, we will run all day long on this team. And then there was two false start penalties and a whole bunch of other stuff that happened <laughs> that really pissed me off as well and still does make me mad. But it was one of these things where it was, like, blatantly obvious, like, they weren't going to be able to stop Bama on defense. They just weren't. Yeah. And, and someone, you know, make no mistake about it, it's great that he was able to, like, maximize – I would say maximize – his time with Johnny Manziel because as we saw later and I think we've seen now from someone, I don't think he's a coach that was really going to be able to get more out of a team than mm-hmm. he did with Manziel this this year and the year before, maybe the year before especially. So for him to get that that contract was a huge deal. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because he, he, I mean, he needed that. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he definitely capitalized off that. I think that things, the way that they played out for him down the stretch, just an example of what happens when you set the bar that high right away. Yeah. Right away. The A-listers. There are a lot of guys that we won't get to in this specific one. There's a ton of A-listers that I, I know you're going to want to talk about on the oh. Alabama side that we can still talk about that, maybe just not quite as in-depth. You know, we've yeah. talked a lot about Landon Collins before, haha, Clinton Dix. We're going to get to that play. We're going to get to that play. Don't worry. And I know what you're talking about. But there's and there's a bunch of you know first team all SEC type guys who had very very good careers that we won't necessarily dig into, but let's start with and I know we've brought him up before on this podcast a lot, but I wanted to talk about this game specifically, AJ McCarron. If there is a McCarron game, and I know that the LSU ending and the way that things went, you know before the the A and M game last year, yeah. And what he did, that's kind of like his signature late moment. Although, I mean, it was a screen pass, but let's... You know, he was one of eight. He was one of eight in the second half for eight yards. Yeah. He put us in that situation. True. If you're listening, AJ. If there is a McCarron game, I think this has to be it. I think this has to be it. Yeah. Because what he did on the road that day, where you're asked to win a shootout. And credit to him, because you said before how Bama could have run the ball 
all day okay. if they wanted to. They weren't. They were throwing the ball. They got out there and they're like, you know what? We'll, we'll play this game. We can throw the ball all over the place. We have the weapons to be able to do that. A game in which he ends up with 334 passing yards, four touchdowns. It's a revenge game for him. And I always kind of think these are the moments when I really appreciate AJ McCarron. And these are the moments when I yeah. say, you know what? People who just think he's a game manager, watch this game and what was at stake for this because he was somebody who always played better on the road as well. Mm -hmm. Somebody who did not lose a road game in his three-year career as a starter until kick six. And even then, you know, obviously very bizarre circumstances led to that loss. But when it got tight late and when, like when it got tight late in this game, like it did yeah. the previous year against LSU, who would you rather have on your team than A.J. McCarron? Tua Tungavailoa. Anyway, I mean, so. in that, that specific year, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. So, regardless, I thought AJ played a great game in this game. It's also easy to see, though, how unlikable AJ was for so many different people. Because he, he was like, he didn't have the best physical tools. He didn't have better physical tools compared to the guy he was even playing against nope. uh, on the other side of the field. He, he made a lot of big plays. You talk about the 2012 game and how it was a revenge game. I mean, he was part of the reason Bama was in that hole. He had, throws his mm -hmm. first interception of the season on the second series. They get the ball in, in great field position. He came out early and looked like crap. Like I mean, he looked bad. Like I can't believe I just said crap. Look at me changing. There you go. Got a boy. Um, you wait until we talk about more stuff. That's not going to be the word I use. <laughs> but, uh, but, no, it, it's like he, he looked, I think, as good as – the only game where he might have looked a little bit sharper was the Notre Dame game, I think. Because the Notre Dame yeah. game, but like we, they couldn't do anything. They that, couldn't that do anything. Wasn't matter. I was very surprised. And Nussmeier, we've talked about it before on the podcast, the kick six game where he shut down emotionally, like I would do, and and we got mad because Saban was like chewing him out the whole time. And he was like, "Well, it's fine. I'm just not gonna. You're gonna yell at me. I'm just not gonna call the plays." There were several play calls in this game where I was like, "What are you doing? Run the football!" But to his credit. Everything did seem to be working that day, and and A and M really didn't have a, an answer. Like like for what they for what Bama was doing, A and M did not have an answer. It almost looked a lot like eh, this might be a stretch, but like how Bama or LSU last year would make teams look. Yeah, like they're yeah. going to spread you out. They're going to put three and four receivers out. They can run the ball and they can gash you there inside the t in between the tackles, outside the tackles, or they can throw the ball over the middle of the field on the on the edges of the field. You know wherever they were going to they were going to exploit you and expose you, but like, it was it was frustrating because it was like, Bama's defense was like at the end of the game, both teams were gassed, both teams no were doubt. flat out gassed. They were gassed for different reasons. Like it was more of like a methodical throwing game, almost. If you if, if that's if that makes sense, I don't even know what I'm saying. Move on. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> One of the other reasons that this was impressive for McCarron, I thought, was because his main guy, Mari Cooper, he was held to 34 receiving yards on this entire day. He didn't have a catch after the first quarter. He was the fifth leading receiver on this team, and they still put up those passing yards. That was one of the few knocks against him. And I think that's carried into the NFL, was as great of a receiver as Amari was. And we have talked about him just dominating teams. And even mm -hmm. in this game last year where he has the big, what was it, the 53-yard touchdown that he has along the left sideline. Yeah. As great as he was during this sophomore year, you know, his first 100-yard game didn't come until the Iron Bowl. And I know he was kind of banged up he had at a points during this year. Rece like re reception of that game. Yeah, yeah. So Bowl. I mean, that's 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 <laughs> part of it. 
What was at the root of, of Amari's issues this year? Because the production obviously dipped off, and you know he still was was playing in a lot of these games. Was it was it the offense just not being built the same yes. way that it was in 2014? Was it just simply not being able to to kind of deal with getting everybody's number one corner? Like what was it? Injuries? What was it? it do you think it had nothing to do with the number one corner? Because Amari Cooper was the best athlete on the field almost every single time Bama took the field, and and that, I'm not saying that to sound stubborn or whatever, but. He had the ability to take over games, as we saw in 2014, as we saw against Georgia in 2012 as a true yeah. freshman, where he had, I think, six, five or six, maybe 700-yard games and had a 1,000-yard receiving. The problem with this team was A.J. McCarron was, I hate to say it, but A.J. was almost like this, this like dictator on the field where he, he, he pulled the, uh, uh, the strings, and a lot of times he was he, – he was, making the right decisions. As we saw the the late touchdown, it was his his play call. But if you look at early, like Amari's one of those guys too that you saw in 2014 especially, almost every single play or first play that was scripted from scrimmage for Bama's offense, especially in 2014, was a slip screen to Amari Cooper. Almost every single time. They got him going early almost every single time. They did not do that with him this season. He was he was obviously the the first look a lot of times, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, he was not the guy that like they got going early. They had they had Kevin Norwood and they had you know Danger White, which were both really good players, but AJ missed a lot a lot of open looks to Amari Cooper early in games, and it was you could, you could see in this in this Amari looked older than any other game I'd ever seen him in in this game. He looks so beyond frustrated. Like, dude, if you don't get me the damn ball, like it just, it just for whatever reason, that's, yeah. that's why. All right. Understood. That's TJ, why Connor. <laughs> <laughs> TJ Yeldon. He's coming off this thousand yard season as a freshman. Um, he was the goat in this game last year and not the good kind of goat. As we it's always say, kid. he avenged it though in this game with 153 yards from scrimmage and obviously there are there's another moment that we're going to highlight later with TJ Yeldon. I promise you that. I promise you it. that. But he in this year was still very good. 1200 rushing yards was every bit as good as as you could have asked an Alabama running back to be who is replacing this this role that obviously I mean he wasn't really replacing Eddie Lacy but when you lose a guy of that caliber you hope that you're going to have a go-to back as good as TJ Yeldon was and in this game as you said you know it seemed like they can kind of get seven yards on the ground at will and at he was will. he was slippery he was effective he was good in space inside the tackles outside the tackles it didn't really matter I thought TJ Yeldon had some some very promising moments in this game in which you realize this guy kind of gets lost in the shuffle as we talk about yeah you know, the great Bama backs of the 2010s but a darn good football player, and obviously somebody that they were glad to hand the ball to, what, 27 times this game or whatever, and ended up, it ended up being a, a pretty high number, and I didn't uh, think he was sure it was right around there. He, yeah. he, T.J. Yeldon was, you know, he, he when you say lost in the shuffle, but he was between, he was sandwiched in between Trent Richardson leaving in 2011 and Derrick Henry winning the Heisman in 2015. And he had a, a good three-year career. His freshman year might have been his best year when they had a better offensive line and all that kind of stuff. Um... He he did such an incredible job. I mean, former five-star kid, huge recruit, committed to Auburn originally. People forget mm. that. Um, I mean, he did such a good job of of avoiding big hits. Like he he just his little slippery, like, yeah. shoulder dip, very slippery. Like was was a very very good back. 
he just, for whatever reason, had these these moments, and it always seemed like <laughs> the worst possible moment where he would, I don't know if he lost focus or just lost control of the ball, but it was like, damn it, TJ. Like, this is the one thing. You, like, okay, prime example about TJ Yeldon. Fantastic back. That 2012 game against LSU scores a winning touchdown. Gets an open, open field. Make a man miss, TJ. I mean, gets in the end zone untouched, I believe, on the screen pass. 2014. We get the ball. It's tied 10-10 to 10 with a minute and nine seconds to go, and Bama has the ball on their six-yard line, and he fumbled on their own six-yard line. He did things at times, the A&M game in 2012, this game right here. You just you had, you had the ability to put them away or not be put away, and he just didn't. I don't know if he was mad at me, if I, if I could have done more, <laughs> but it was, it was uh, frustrating at times. I'll say that. C.J. Mosley, the Alabama linebacker, who, in my opinion, and probably this, if you took the average Alabama fan and asked him this question, yeah. one, of, one of the best defenders uh, of the Saban era, made the very surprising decision to return for his senior year, earned All-America honors in 2012, uh, only two linebackers that finished ahead of him in the Butkus Award, your best friend, Manti Teo and Jarvis Jones. Unreal. But he won the Butkus Award this year in 2012. We already, or in 2013, rather. We already brought up all the, the great stats about how good Bama's defense was after this game. And he shared SEC Defensive Player of the Year honors with Michael Sam. Thought he was really good in this game, too. And still did a lot of the things that. Yes, he's, he doesn't jump off the he doesn't jump off the screen as like you know this this guy who's going to be feared coming off the edge in the same way that we talked about a lot of the SEC greats later in this decade. But somebody who at the middle linebacker position, you build a defense around him and, and you're good. And he he just, he probably made Alabama better than it was in a lot of different areas. And he could kind of he's one of those guys that kind of like you know, he can cover up your mistakes to a certain extent because of how yeah. much ground he can cover. Another season in which he has over 100 tackles and just just a machine. Thought he made a lot of plays in this game and looked every bit the part and what we've come to know him as. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I I, I just, I, I don't, it's, it's odd because he's such a great player. I just don't know if I would put any defensive player for Alabama on that, on that list uh, in this, as an A-lister in this game just because of how they looked. I, I honestly don't remember TJ, or I'm sorry, CJ really doing much in this game. That's not to say that he didn't. Uh, I just, I didn't remember seeing much of it because, I mean, because they, also they were spreading him out the entire game. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, he, I mean, he would definitely be an A-lister off this, off this roster. I just, like I said, I don't know if I would include anybody about that with this game. His steps, his steps were probably like 30,000 in this game. Yeah. So, somewhere around there. Yeah. I think it's I fair to say that. The guy that he was chasing for much of the afternoon, Johnny Manziel. So we've already talked about the big offseason that he had and not necessarily a good one. But also remember, too, there was the most noteworthy development of that offseason was the autograph situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, the NCAA ultimately decided to suspend him for the first half of the season opener, which many, many people were talking about. And there was debate as to whether or not he was going to be suspended for this game and and fans of Georgia who later you know had to deal with the Todd Gurley suspension are Unreal. probably pretty upset at the uh, at the treatment that Manziel was given but yeah I mean in this game <laughs> people don't talk about this enough for his legacy because they lost obviously yeah. I get that 562 yards of offense against this Bama defense which 
as we know, ended up being really, really good. More electric, in my opinion, this year yeah. than he was in the previous year. Now, he had two big mistakes in this game, and it cost him. And in a game where they did not have that margin for error because their defense was significantly worse in 2013 compared to 2012, right. he didn't get the end result. But my goodness, like some of the things that he does in this game, you're just like, there's no amount of teaching that I will be able to do. And you, you just got to sit back and you tip your cap sometimes. And there are so many moments in this game where Saban was doing that. Like Saban continuing to throw when they're up a touchdown or when they're up two touchdowns. And they're like, we need to keep scoring because Johnny Manziel can come back mm -hmm. in this game. And sure enough, that's what he was doing. And it was great to kind of see this chess match play out because Manziel's in peak form. He's not, we talked about him down the stretch and what he was against Mizzou and, and right. struggling the way that he did against LSU this year. But he is, he is a better version of himself in this game than he was the previous year, which is saying something. Yeah, there was, we, there's a part later that we're going to obviously get to. And it's like the normal human beings don't play this game. And yep. I, I jokingly wrote down the entire game because it was just, <laughs> there was, there was, you know, in the the season before, there was that play where he steps up in the pocket, gets bumped, ball pops in the air, he catches it, spins across his body or against against his body, I guess, and then rolls out across his body, finds Ryan Swope, Ryan Swope, just <laughs> wide open in the end zone, and and it was like, oh my gosh, like he had like four or five of those plays in this game alone. It was crazy. This was, I think, even though if Bama would have lost, I would not have enjoyed watching this game. Obviously, I know that this was one of the most enjoyable games I've, I've ever got to watch in, in terms of watching a kid with that ability kind of have a peak moment sh showcasing those abilities. It was awesome. He was so, so good. So, yeah. so good. So fun to watch. And watching him and Mike Evans was a treat. Yeah. On this day, Mike Evans had seven catches for 279 yards. Craziest thing about that? That's ridiculous. That, that wasn't even the best game of his career. How? <laughs> Against Auburn, he had 11 catches for 287 and four touchdowns. He had he averaged 40 yards of reception in this game. I mean, he had 40 yards in this game last year against yeah. Bama. It was night and day. On almost the same amount of receptions. Wasn't it like five receptions? Yeah, it was five receptions for 40 yards. And they kept trying to do... They, they kept trying to take advantage of – it was so weird watching the A&M offense last year in the 2012 game compared to 2013 because of what they did with Evans and right. their inability to stretch the field with him in 2012 where they just wanted to be like, all right, we're going to take the easy thing. We're going to, you know, seven, eight-yard hitch, and we're going to try and get him on the outside, and then it would just be – you know, batted away or something like that. And you're like, you're not allowing Mike Evans to do what Mike Evans does, right. which is make plays, dominate those 50-50 matchups. It's unfair to even call them 50-50 matchups. Yeah. Because in this game, oh my goodness, was he special. Really, yeah. really good. Uh, I can watch Mike Evans and Johnny Manziel play football just all day. I would love to do it on anybody against <laughs> against anybody but Bama. That was, I mean, that was tough. <laughs> I, I'm, you know what? I'm convinced. I know, I know Johnny Manziel was was a bust in the NFL. You put him on Tampa, yeah, with Mike Evans. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm not saying that he would have become an All Pro quarterback or anything like that. Right. But just stick him with Mike Evans, and oh, that would have been fun to watch in the NFL. Would have been great. Did you have anybody else that I sh I should have brought up in the A listers? 
No, but you missed like a thousand people. On I the, admitted I was going to miss a thousand on though. the other ones, but go ahead. Okay, then th this is where you're going to fill in all the gaps for us. The breakout performers. I only had one listed for this because so many of these guys were already so established. It's tough to really yeah. be like, oh yeah, this person, this is when their career really, really got going. Malcolm Kennedy, the Texas A&M receiver, he had three touchdowns in the second half. Basically, all those touchdowns when they're trying to come back after being down 21, it was to Malcolm Kennedy, oh, with the exception of the 95-yard Mike Evans touchdown as right. well, which we will get to. But he had Malcolm Kennedy had more touchdowns in this game than he did in his entire career before this. He had the big TD against Bama a year earlier as well in the fourth quarter, which gave them the, the two-possession lead as well. So um, Malcolm Kennedy, probably not the typical top-of-the-scouting report guy, but somebody that you, I imagine, as a Bama fan, learned very quickly. I don't remember Malcolm Kennedy doing – oh, okay, he did a lot. Um, I don't remember his – I mean, it was Mike Evans. Mike, it, like, it I was guess Mike Evans. Malcolm yeah, Kennedy might, might have – Malcolm Kennedy was basically the equivalent of, like, Jerome Bettis late in his career where it was like, okay, yeah, when they got down near the goal line, they That's he scored touchdowns. Yeah. But, like, Mike Evans was – it was all day. They, listen, there were John Fulton, Cyrus Jones, Dion Blue, and there's another one too, I'm pretty sure, that, that, was, on, that was on Mike Evans. It, like, it, there was a minimum – minimum three – cornerbacks and they all got posterized by him at some point during the game okay all right yeah, you heard all right. that right Did, were there any other breakout performance that you had breakout so you didn't have i would have put him in here i'm not i will wait for Jalston fowler um no let's I'll, go ahead let's go ahead no no he, he's, a, he's a prominent extra he's a prominent extra because he already did so much in his let's, career. let's start with players it. of all time let's start ja fowler was one of my favorite players number 45 he caught the game i guess technically game winning touchdown pass yeah. Technically. I mean, at the end of it. Number 45, Jalston Fowler is one of my favorite players for several reasons. One, he came in as, like, just another back. He's a four-star back out of high school. Unit. Unit. Absolute unit. Was so damn tough, so strong. Um, could have played fullback or running back and, and did both well. I, I don't know why he wasn't featured more in this game. Mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of, like, pissed me off rewatching it because it was like, you know, they, they were basically in the same setup the first time Yeldon fumbled that they were in what they ended up scoring in, except they didn't use him as a lead blocker. Jalston Fowler has one of my favorite stats of all time, and that is this. <laughs> as, as a senior in high school, he was not allowed to play his senior year. Now, he was a four-star top 240 guy, four-star running back. And I was like, wait, well, how come we don't have any Jalston Fowler uh, stats? He wasn't allowed to play his senior year because he was too old. He was 20 years old mm. as a graduating senior in high school. By the time he left school, you, you looked it up. What was yeah. he? He was 24? He was 24, but then three months after he got drafted, he turned 25. Right. So there's only one other person I, I've ever met that was 24 at the point of their graduation. And that, that guy's name was Chris Marler. And he <laughs> took way too long to graduate. And that just, you sh at 24, you shouldn't be, you know, at 24, you should be wearing Van Houston clothes and, and trying to save it for an Acura because you think it's a nice car at the time. That's what you should be doing at 24. Not playing college football or sports. Oh gosh! All right. Uh, the other the other prominent extras that we have: uh, Ricky Seals Jones, the A and M tight end no, slash receiver. receiver. There you go. Uh, whatever you want to call him, he's, he's a tight he's end huge. now. But at the time, he was one of the top receivers in the country coming out of high school. Yes, I remember reading about him in uh, the system, which is a fantastic book. If you have not read it. 
uh, Jeff Benedict, Armin uh, KTN, I think his name is. Awesome, awesome book. If you're a college yeah. football fan and you're like, season can't get here soon enough, I promise it won't feel like reading if you read the system. Very, very well done. They profiled him in this. And they spent, like I think, like 15 to 20 pages talking about his recruitment. But obviously, number one recruit in the state of Texas, five-star kid, stud athlete, 6'5", 240, cousin of Eric Dickerson. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything kind of hinted at him like being this this next stud. And, you know, his recruitment was very well documented. Um, but like like Dickerson, he they kind of hinted at this in the, in the book, this uh, impropriety during his recruitment. Mm-hmm. And they talked about him getting offered by someone $300,000 and also $1,000 a month for Ricky, $500 a month for the family, eight season tickets, luxury suite access, the whole deal. And then he ends up at A&M. Now, they didn't say that it was A&M who had you know, the offer or anything like that. But, you know, as we've kind of been connecting the dots with this whole Zion Williamson thing... It's tough to imagine in which, a situation in which this didn't happen. And whatever. All right. Listen, like, and again, I'll say, if Justin Fields was only paid $100,000, which was the big rumor, that's a bargain. <laughs> like, that's not even, like, not even, my, my favorite thing, my favorite line, if, if you haven't seen this 30 for 30, I don't know what you've been doing. The but Pony Excess? The Pony Excess. Yeah. is an, It's an incredible book. It's an incredible, it's an incredible 30 for 30 um documentary it 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 didn't bring up the i mean like you know my favorite back marcus dupree that whole book that he has there was obviously a lot he was getting some money as well and listen a lot of like all these guys are not all these guys but a lot of these big guys are getting paid whether you like to hear about it or not but the ricky seals jones thing or i'm sorry the eric dickerson thing my favorite line from this thing is when he got that gold trans am oh yeah and didn't give it back. <laughs> he got that's, a gold transam from A and M, and then was like, "It's honestly amazing that they even recruited Ricky Seals Jones with that bloodline." Because right? if you if you don't know the story, basically, real quick, Eric Dickerson, who's the number one back in the country coming out of high school, was was gifted a gold transam to go to A and M. He commits to A and M, and then he didn't really want to go to A and M, and so he changed his mind, and I'm sure he got some more money and went to SMU instead, and then was like, "I'm not giving the car back." Because what, what are they going to do? Like, like, hey, he took that car after we tried to pay him. Nope, because that's going to get your school in trouble. So he just kept this gold Trans Am. Um, the other favorite line was when, I forgot who it was, but uh, it was a coach, I think, was talking about recruiting somebody, and he, he goes to this recruit's house, and he opens up a shoebox, right? Shoebox was in it? $20,000. And he goes, oh, okay. so whoever the guy he was recruiting was, who wasn't like a famous player, he goes, coach, that's not even close. And I was just like, God, <laughs> oh, man, the Wild Wild West of recruiting is just so much fun, man. Ricky anyway. Seals Jones was um, somebody who was, uh, but you know, kind of a cool story, and that comes from a small town, six thousand population town of Sealy in Texas, and was came off really, I think, came off really well in this book yeah. if you've ever read it, um, but was targeted in this game just once on that last drive. He's a true freshman, unfortunately got injured, uh, season-ending injury in September, but you know, went on to have a, a pretty decent career, and he's he's still still in the NFL right now, so he's doing something well for himself for sure. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Hill, a.k.a. Kenny Trill. We talked about him a lot in the 2014 episode that we did, so I don't want to spend much time on him. But, I don't know why he's on this list. Um, I mean, he's always noticeable because – he's always a notable extra because – I or prominent extra, rather, because I like just saying Kenny Trill. And I think yeah, it's fun. And, and you do get to see him on the bench next to Manziel, and then you're reminded of, oh, yeah, this is the guy who's going to take Manziel's place, and everybody for a very brief period of time is going to think that everything's going to be okay, and then you're quickly reminded that, no, Johnny Manziel's 
very different than Kenny Hill. I'll just, I'll never forget him throwing that interception to Reggie Ragland. And I hate to sound like a Bama homer about this, but it was that 2014 game the following year where he got off to this incredible start where he was a Heisman front runner and all that kind of stuff and, and had a great arm. And and uh, I remember Joey Galloway saying beforehand that A&M would throw for 500 yards on that Alabama yep. defense. And I think they lost 59 to nothing. But he threw, a, he threw an interception. And that if we were doing that game, this would be the normal people don't play this sport because – he, I mean, he was throwing a pass downfield, like on a line as hard as, and, and from like, I don't know, seven yards away, Reggie Ragland jumped up and caught it like right in his hands. I was like, what the hell? Y'all can do that? Like, what is that? All right, go to the rest of your crappy list. Go ahead. Wow. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Connor, there's 27 players off the Bama roster alone that made the NFL, and you've got several that didn't, a ton didn't, of them, didn't and I told play you. at all. All right. Well, that's where they're prominent extras. Jonathan Allen was one of the best defensive players of the SEC of the 2010s. He is very much a prominent extra. He's only a true freshman in this game. He is every good as, like I said, I think I I gave him the honor of yeah. best SEC defensive player of the 2010s. He was part of this 2013 class, though, that was absolutely loaded. loaded. Also featured another guy named Derrick Henry. Oh, by the way, that 2013 class... 15 top 100 recruits. This Georgia <laughs> class this past year was also really, really good. 11 top 100 recruits. A little bit different. Four of the top 100 were running backs. Yeah, Four Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry being one of them. Derrick um, Henry, yeah, that's your did, next one. Did not have a carry in this game, but weird to see that. Like, imagine wondering if Derrick Henry is ready for college football. Like, kind of a weird thing. I, I know they're loaded in the backfield. Yeah. But strange to not see him relied on at all whatsoever in this game. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I know he got yelled in and Kenny and Drake and all those guys, but just... Yeah, why did he have Drake listed? Drake had a hell of a game. Drake had... Uh, what a hell of a game. I don't know. He's like 70 yards from scrimmage. I, okay. He, so he had... Hold on. He had 52 yards from scrimmage on eight touches. He had seven carries for 50 yards as a true freshman. All right, that's, that's a... No, was he a true freshman? Uh, am I going to... Stumped Marler twice today in the same. Uh, I don't know I about don't that. Know. Yeah, he uh, might, he might have been. Either way, uh, moving on. Alvin Kamara, you call him Kamara, I call him Kamara, whatever you want to call him. The former Bama running back, the former Bama great, as people remember, lone year with Alabama, but he redshirted this year. Uh, injured, got in trouble. <laughs> apparently, transferred. I don't. Did we ever find out what he did to get in trouble that year? What he got benched for for the bowl game? Yeah, it was What's he gonna play? Oh, all right. Simple <laughs> enough. Imagine an NFL backfield of Kamara, Derrick Henry, <laughs> Kenyon Drake, and TJ Yeldon. It'd be the best backfield in the NFL. Bro, Alty Tenpenny was the one. He got, he got carries mm-hmm. before both of them in the opening game. Rest in peace, man. That kid, oof, he was going to be a stud. Did you have anybody else in this category? I got a before thousand. We get to, here we before go. Before we get to the last one real quick. Yes, let me go to the last one. Let me give, give you some extra ones here. Um... Blake Sims, my favorite, maybe yep. my fa- outside of two of my favorite quarterback during the Saban's history. You talk about these running backs real quick. I mentioned Alfie Timpany. D. Hart, who was the number one all-purpose back in 2012 coming out the same year as HaHa, he went to the same high school. Pretty sure when they committed, they that school, I think it's Dr. Phillips or something like that, or whatever, it's yeah. in Orlando. Powerhouse in Orlando. Yeah, yep. they got a brand new facility. Uh, Shout out to Scooter Magruder, who went there. There you go. Um yeah, but after they both committed, I think Bama used their facilities to help out or to like to train in one of the bowl games, twenty ten. Um, and uh, yeah, after they both committed there, they were they were the recipients of a brand new 
um, workout facility or, or on field. I don't know. Imagine um, that. Yeah, imagine that. Chris Black, who was, I thought, I always thought that kid was going to be a stud. Never was. He's a former five star as well. DeAndrew White, uh, I mentioned earlier. OJ Howard. OJ Howard, who, who arguably had his best game. Who's good in this game? In his first two years, that you just kept waiting. They kept saying to me, he's going to be a stud. And they just never. I wouldn't say they, but this guy never really found a way. Nussmeier never really found a way to, to utilize him. And I, I don't remember his numbers from the other two years, but it, it seemed like it wasn't until the national championship game when my dad randomly was like, I think the key to the whole deal, before the before kickoff against yeah. Clemson, 2015, I think the key to the whole deal is O.J. Howard. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, old man? Only two games that he ever finished with more than with 100 receiving yards was the national championships against Clemson each year. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I, I mean, I'm not going to even – Ryan Anderson was like a, a freshman at the time, played a little bit. I'm not going to talk about Trader Priest because it's just going to make me mad. Uh, Ruben Foster was a freshman linebacker on this yep. team. Adrian Hubbard, my least favorite player, just just wouldn't refuse to give effort. Um, never understood that. You talk about Collins, talk about Haha. John Fulton got abused the entire game. Eddie Jackson on this team. Vinny Sanceri on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, Cyrus Jones. These are all guys that became stars at Bama. Reggie Ragland. Um and then my favorite, and they kept showing this guy, and you tweeted about him during during this game. And, and this is funny. This will show you like how messed up my mind is. Okay, we're watching this game last night. Me and Allie's we're starting to cook dinner, and and she's like, "Hey, can we cook dinner, please? Can we go cook dinner?" Because I had told her I was like, "Hey, let's cook dinner together," like an idiot. And then she was like expecting us to do that because I said we were going to do it. A. Sean Robinson. They kept showing him on the sidelines. It was at, late in the game, and 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 you. It was funny that you mentioned it, and you said. What's he like? Thirty-five years old. The moment he came in to school, everyone was like, "He's a forty-year-old man." Like, like the moment if if you, if you haven't ever seen this picture, Google Ashawn Robinson and Derrick Henry because the when they oh, announced they were going pro, it's it's classic. But my favorite part of this game, and, I, and this is again like how messed up my brain is. I remember the exact play when it happened. She was like, "Hey, can we start cooking?" And I go, "Hold on, Ashawn's about to get a sack." Sure enough, the next play he gets a sack, and and one of the reasons I remember that is because. He had five sacks his freshman year. This is his freshman year. They asked him after the game, you know, you had a great freshman year. To be able to get five sacks from that position, which is basically like nose tackle, nose guard, whatever. I know it's not the real position, but, you know, anyway. So he gets five sacks as a true freshman. They said, what are your goals for your sophomore season? He said, to win the Heisman Trophy. Ashawn, <laughs> <laughs> there were a few people like Ashawn. I, I love it. He was, he was, the, he was the man. I, just real quick, do you ever want to see the ability, like, that 2015, 2016, and honestly 2017, those, the reason those teams are so different than anything we see at Bama now is the defensive line was just so damn good. But Ashawn against against LSU in 2015, this is illegal now, but this is like a six foot five, 340 pound man child. They're they're attempting a field goal, and he he like just just flat footed or whatever hops over the the snapper. And then gets back up, jumps back up, and blocks the kick. And it was like, I, and it's illegal now. Cheating. But it's illegal for people that are like, I don't know, people with 40-inch verts that are like defensive backs <laughs> and crap. It's not, it shouldn't be illegal. For, for somebody like that, he should have been given the Heisman that moment. Anyway. That's a good prominent extra. Very good prominent yeah. extra. I have one more prominent extra. I can't believe this is him. Our buddy, Luke Del Rio. <laughs> Luke. Luke. So Luke redshirted this year. But he traveled for this game. And I texted Luke this morning. And I was like, were you there? And he said, oh, yeah, I've got two stories. So I've got a surprise for you. Is he still blocking me on Twitter? Luke blocked you on Twitter? What? I don't think he blocked me. I think he muted me. Oh, gosh. 
Uh, you tweet, I love you, Luke. You tweet about the bachelor too much. Um, so I don't want you to get mad at me for this, but I already knew you weren't watching this game. No, no, no. I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I watch all this game, but I, I knew that you were going to have a bunch of great stories and personal, you know, insights and stuff like that. Yeah. Insights that I just wouldn't have because on this day I was, I was in Lincoln covering UCLA, Nebraska. Uh, Brett Henley went off that day. Fun fact. They, they scored like four straight touchdowns yeah. and kicked Nebraska in the face. It was a bloodbath. So I called in a favor because I texted Luke and he's like, I've got two really good stories for you. So I got him on the phone and I got him no. to tell us those two stories. So first, oh, let's, cool. kick, let's kick it to the, the call that I had with Luke. All right, surprise guest. Excited to be joined by our good buddy, Luke Del Rio the former Bama slash Oregon State slash Florida quarterback. Luke, you were there in 2013. Please, I, I, I was, I, I love the fact that like, so I texted you being like, hey, like, you know, were you were you on the traveling roster for this game? Because you redshirted this year, obviously, uh, as a freshman. And you're like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got two stories uh, from this game. So Luke, first of all, how are you doing? And second of all, Please give us the goods on what went on in this game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you for, for having me on again. It's always, it's always fun to visit with you guys and to be able to contribute to the good content you guys put out. Um, I'm doing good back up in D.C. Uh, we just kind of broke from our isolated quarantine, and we're just getting ready for training camp. So, um, But speaking about the Bama and Texas A&M game in 2013, so the year before, Johnny Manziel had come in, to Tuscaloosa and famously beaten Alabama, a really good Alabama team that year um, who actually ended up winning the national championship. And so this was the rematch and they had Mike Evans and they had Johnny and they had Jake Matthews at left tackle who also long snapped, which was kind of weird to see because um, he's oh, yeah. six foot five, three twenty. It's a giant long snapper. But um, <laughs> I was red shirting that year and people don't remember. I don't think, but I walked on at Alabama. I had offers from, Oklahoma State and UCLA and, and a bunch of places. And I walked on um, because I competed with the guys that they had as freshmen that were committed there at Elite 11, and I, and I thought that I could beat them out. So A&M was our first SEC away game. So your travel roster goes down from like, you know, we played Virginia Tech, who's in the ACC. We played them week one, so we could travel everybody. So there was no travel squad. So week two, we play... I think we played somebody, and then we played A&M week three or something like that. We played them. You really had a bye early. week week two. Week two was a bye week. We had week a bye week. That's right. That's right. So during the bye week, I was uh, scout team quarterback with Cooper Bateman and Parker McLeod. We were just kind of, you know, enjoying our redshirt season. And I got bumped up to, like, the active quote-unquote roster. I was no longer on scout team after that week. I guess I had a really good week of practice. Um so it was A.J. McCarron was going first, Blake Sims was going second, and I was, like, splitting reps with Blake Sims. And I didn't really know, like, the significance of that. It was just like, this is really cool. I'm getting reps with, like, starters. Um, and I'm 18. So And I'm a walk-on. So it comes time to travel. It's Friday, and everybody shows up for the Friday walkthrough. And if you have a travel bag by your locker, you're traveling. Well, Cooper Bateman and Parker McLeod, the two scholarship quarterbacks, did not have a bag, and I had a bag. 
and it was like a big deal at the time because it's like the walk-on is traveling and you guys aren't. But um, I didn't really take anything by it. I just figured, yeah, I had a good week of practice, so they're they're rewarding me. So I, you know, get on the plane. We go there. Amazing environment. I actually trained with Johnny um, that summer a little bit with George Whitfield. Said hi to him pregame. He's a great guy. Um, you know, different, a little wild, but but good, good human. And uh, right before the game, we are dressed, ready to go out. And our AC was not working in our locker room. Weird how that happens. Funny. In huh, hot, hot Texas weather. Yeah, no AC. Uh, it was just spitting out really hot air. So right before we go out, Doug Nussmeyer grabs me. He goes, hey, by the way, um, if AJ gets hurt, you're probably going to go in. What? And I was like, that would have been nice to know on like Monday. Not <laughs> 10 minutes before I go out. So he goes, I mean, Blake will go in, but don't be surprised if you go in pretty quick after that. And I'm Holy panicking. Cow. Like, um, it's already a crazy environment. All of a sudden, it turned from, wow, this is so cool, to, oh my God, what am I doing? So we play the game. AJ does not get hurt. We get down 14 nothing, and we're backed up on our own one. And it's, it was the loudest I ever heard a college stadium. And I've been to, I've been to Neyland, Florida's really loud, Bama's really loud. That, that moment when Bama, when we were backed up coming out on our own one, that was the loudest I've ever heard a college stadium. That was up there with Seattle Seahawks and, and Kansas City Chiefs. It was as loud as you could hear a crowd. And obviously we ended up winning the game, but on the game-winning play, the game-winning touchdown, it was a goal line play. And uh, we ended up scoring. It was a quick little dump off to the fullback. So we put in a play earlier that week. So to, to recap really quick, the first story was, I said I had two stories. The first story was, hey, you're going to play if AJ gets hurt. Right. This is the second story. Um, so we're, we're kind of struggling to score. I mean, we scored a lot of points that game, but we're kind of stalled on this drive. We're inside the five. And people think, like, why don't you just run it in? Well, the defense has the advantage inside the 10 in the red zone really but the field is now wider than it is long so a lot easier to defend well we put in a play called blast it was a run with a fullback and i think it was 22 personnel or 23 and we had a counter off of it called blast pass and we had run blast two or three times in the game so far and it had been a good not great play they were really loading the box and I remember I told Alec Morris, who was, I mean, I, we were kind of in the same position. He was a year older than me, but we were kind of in the same position. We're like, we weren't really the backup, but we were getting some reps with the starting team and, and all of that. So um, I said, man, we should run blast pass. And this was my first away game. I wasn't about to tell the offensive coordinator what to call. But Alec had, had known Nuss for a year, and they had won a national championship. He was a little bit closer, and he knew AJ for, for now two years. And Alec goes, oh, absolutely. He goes up to AJ and goes, we got to run blast pass. And AJ goes, hell yeah, Nuss, we got to run blast pass. They called it. We scored. We won the game. So I'm taking full credit for that. Yes. Um, but, uh, no, it was, it, was a really, it was a really great game. It was one of the best games I've ever been a part of probably one of the best SEC games in the past five, ten years. Um, but, yeah, those two things, I remember them very vividly. 
It looked so hot that day. It looked like if you wanted to fry an egg on the sideline, on the bench, you could have. Like, Saban's hair was a different kind of muffled. And, you know, that hair is it has held up in so many different conditions. But you could just tell that the a like playing in College Station in September just doesn't seem fair. And the fact that your AC was out, which I didn't know that story, just blowing out hot air, just kind of makes you wonder, you know, I, I think that probably, I mean, that had to ignite a little bit of a fire. Not that you guys needed it after the, the way that things ended the year before, but my gosh, I mean, what a, what a stage to be able to, to do that on. And look, lucky for you. I mean, you, you, you pretty much gave Alabama the win that day. This is known as kind of like an A.J. McCarron game. I think there needs to be an asterisk there in which we say also the Luke Del Rio game. Right. <laughs> well, A.J. definitely, I think it was the best game I've ever seen him play, and he had a really, really good career. And Johnny, I, I don't know what he did, but he has so much luck when he plays and the amount of balls that he just threw up that game that <laughs> A&M caught every single time. Um it was it was an incredible game and it was brutally hot. But you know when when you I don't know if they did it on purpose. Everybody assumes that because it, you know it's a big game and you want to affect the other team. But it also kind of pisses you off. So you know are you giving them an advantage? You know so you know there's you can kind of go at it from both sides. But um, no to be able to be a part of that game and that was that was a top three experience in college for me as far as game day. Um, Definitely, definitely my favorite game that I ever, you know, didn't play in, you know, by far. So um, great experience, and uh, I'll remember for a long time. Last question: Did you puke that day? No, no, I, I've never, I've <laughs> never really been. Uh, I've, you know, I don't really puke. Um, to be honest, it, it takes it takes a lot. I've never ever puked because of nervousness. Um, but I remember, I remember warming up like really well, and then. I got told after the warm up that I might play. And I remember throwing a little bit after that. And <laughs> I was so nervous. I like could not even play catch. So I was like, I hope I either calm down or we just run the ball if I go in because I am, I am panicking right now. And, you know, <laughs> can, can you blame me? There's 110,000 people of screaming Aggies with their, you know, whatever they call the, uh, the yell leaders or whatever, which is really cool. Um, it sounds kind of kind of weird, kind of different when you're like they practice chants. Everybody knows the chants, and it's really cool um, at the at the midnight yell. So game day was there. I remember seeing that they picked us on the bus ride over. Um, so it was it was phenomenal. Really really cool. Luke, don't worry about getting nervous. I'm getting nervous just hearing you say that. So um, I'm I'm not gonna fault you for that for that one percent. That's amazing stuff. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, appreciate the insight as always. Um, I'll let you get back to it. Go uh, continue on your path to becoming the next great NFL head coach, and we'll talk soon, man. Thanks, Connor. Have a good one. All right. See you guys. Appreciate it. You too, Luke. Appreciate Luke for coming on, providing a little bit of insight from his very illustrious Alabama football career. Great stuff, though. Like, you don't realize stuff like that, that unless awesome. you ask. Yeah, I mean, I threw up. I threw up in that game for sure. I threw up just uh, listening to him. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was cool. That was a really cool story. I enjoyed that. I love the the whole like, oh yeah, and um, um, coincidentally didn't have the visiting locker room equipped with AC that day, just blown out hot air. That's unreal. Oh, God, ridiculous. Hey, 
It's what yeah. it's what happens when you go into a big time showdown like that. You should probably just ex- expect something like that to happen, like the pink locker room thing at Iowa. Same sort of deal. <laughs> yeah, but that's like set up there. Like that's just they just painted that that crappy color. This was like, whatever. whatever. True. I'm not mad. I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> Favorite line from the broadcast. There were some good ones because we had Vern and Gary. Um, I've got two from Vern here. Okay. He says when this game, I think it was a, it was like 14-14 at this point, and it just looks like both of these offenses are just carving each other up. And Vern says, Trent Gardner, our statistician, a while ago slipped me a note and said, this is like basketball on grass. I love that. I've never thought about Pretty it like good. that. It's pretty good. Other one, and this is even better. This is Peak Burn. He said, uh, they're doing a side-by-side comparison of Manziel and McCarron. (laughs) (laughs) Can't even get through it. And Vern. That's so good. Vern goes, these two who, by the way, were roommates at the Manning Passing Academy. McCarron stayed a little longer than Manziel did. Oh. He just had that that's sitting cool. right there the entire time and was ready to bust that out. See, that's that's why I love Vern so much because he might not be able to provide the best sort of insights, but you know he's got right. at least one or two lines like that in the holster that I just can't wait to let go of. Yeah. There was so my favorite was um my favorite was Saban is meeting with someone at midfield after. Oh, this is good, yeah. 49-42. And, and you actually said it during the uh, interview with Luke where Saban's hair, at, oh, man, at, like walking off the field, it was, it looked different. That's the worst it's it ever looked, looked different. I, mm, uh, I sure. think that's it. Um, but this one, it was just like, I mean, he had, he had, they had put him through the ringer in this game and he's walking off the field, he goes to shake someone's hand and he goes, Boy, you took about ten years off my life, and then and then just kept on walking, and that was I thought that was pretty good. Uh, my other favorite one was, and I forgot this happened this year, um, and it must have happened the week before because I think it was Michigan Notre Dame when it happened or what the reference they were making. But um, all in all, I don't think Gary was at a point yet where he was really feeling himself. He had the glasses on; he was more reserved. He said unbalanced only once, which was interesting. Um, unbalanced, but he's sitting there. Unbounced, right. He's, he's sitting there with Vern, and and Vern says something. He goes, you know, I was told one of our, uh, I don't know if he said rivals or competition or whatever, and, I, and I, I don't know the exact quote, but he says, had Eminem on last oh, week. Oh, yeah, yeah, And I was, I was told that one of, our, one of our rivals had on Eminem last week, uh, which is funny, and I was like, what the hell is he about to say? Because I was cracking up thinking of it. If you haven't seen the, the episode or that, that clip of Eminem, I don't know what drugs he was on, but it's definitely plural. I will say that at the Michigan game, and he's just like staring at. He looked like he had taken edibles, like where, like in anything I've heard about edibles. (laughs) It's like you walk into your house and you're like you're a cat burglar of your own place. (laughs) Just like your hands are on the wall, like what the hell is happening right now? So he he's like has this look up. He goes, "We actually had we almost had someone uh, a similar guest." Lyle Lovett. <laughs> and I was like, what are you do-? Like, it just, that was so peak Vern to bring up Lyle Lovett. Like, ugh, anyway, um, so those are my favorite. Um, coldest take from the broadcast. There were a couple. There were definitely a couple. Um, Vern, after AM goes up 14 to nothing, right out of the gates. He says, so far, only the location has changed. This is a mirror-like image between last year's game between these two teams. 
Now, that's, he covered himself, I guess, because he said so far, like only the location has changed. But right. obviously, when Bama scores 35 straight points right after that, I, you know, that, that kind of all goes Not great, Vern. Not, not great. Uh, the other one I had was when they did a game break. And it was yeah, I had this. It was one. Gary after seeing Oregon go up fifty-two to seven against Tennessee that day with uh, Marcus Mariota, and um, Gary says, uh, "If Stanford doesn't beat Oregon, who beats them this year?" Well, Oregon did lose to Stanford, and then they lost forty-two to sixteen to Arizona. Um, so yeah, it didn't exactly work. I out. thought that was a pretty good one, though. I thought that. I mean, I don't, they only lost two games that year, and the first one was to Stanford. Yeah, I know they went seven and two in the Pac-12, so it's not a freezing take. It's not like they turned out to be terrible, yeah. but they were a year away. I, I, I think that team was at least, yeah. at least definitely defensively, because they got to the national championship, obviously in 2014. Um, I I remember that one as as I had it down, but I, it was like in limbo between. Best lines than coldest take. My 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 coldest take was, and again, I should have written this this down or put it in the Google Doc like yep. a normal person. But uh, there was a point late in, I think it was like five and a half minutes. No, I'm sorry, there was a couple minutes ago, and Manzel has hooked up with Mike Evans once again on like a third and something down the sideline with like what seemingly was blanket coverage. I thought, and it wasn't, <laughs> and he has another big a big a big uh, catch, and he says. Um, what do you call it? The uh, he has this other big catch, and he says he goes. You know, honestly, if they get the ball back and they get a throw to the end zone, I, I, my money might be on Evans. And and Vern says something where he kind of pauses, where he's like not in agreement with with Gary, and he goes, "Yeah, I, I would." And they're about to say it at the same time, and as soon as Gary says, he goes, Ex- "Exactly, <laughs> exactly." And I was like, "That's no way he was going to agree with whatever he just nope, said." Nope, not at all. Those two guys are great together, though. They really are. Yeah, they really. Were. Um, I think that's why people have hated Gary so much these last couple of years. I, I think there's something yeah. to be and said. And Nestler's for that. great too. Yeah, he is good. He's he's very good. He brings a very different perspective than Mirando for sure. Right. Um, the Jadavian Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. A couple, a couple in a game with this much talent on the field for sure. Unreal. Besides the obvious, every time Mike Evans goes up for a catch, that's uh, understood. Um, Kevin Norwood, when he goes up for that catch and snags Bama's first TD. Yep, back shoulder throw. Beautiful, beautiful throw and catch where it looked like Kevin Norwood just floated in air. I mean, you you see the athleticism, and for him to make that play, we've seen plays like that in college football, but to make a play in that spot on the road, A&M just gets off to this 14 to nothing start was I thought huge and and the way yeah. in which it happened where it's not like Bama's just gonna run the ball and they're gonna try and do like traditional Bama type stuff where they're like, oh no, y'all are gonna throw, we can throw and we can make spectacular plays just as easily as you can. Right. Middle of the second quarter, Manzel scrambling. This pissed You me alluded off to this day. play and there there are a couple of ways, a couple of takeaways from this I- play. I just don't get it. Jeffrey Pagan had him dead to rights. That's Jeffrey J-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. So it's still G-Off, which is the worst. The worst. Don't hit on Jeffrey Pagan. I'm going to for his name. Um, so he had, he had Manziel dead to rights. And then with C.J. Right. Mosley coming at Manziel after he scrambles away from Jeffrey Pagan, he just heaves it. Middle of the field, throws it up for grabs. It's third down. It's third down. This, this is a bad throw. It's, it's, I'm going to say it. It's a bad throw. 
But it is, in many ways, peak Manziel because, obviously, we remember what happened the year before with the, the bobble play, and he ends up throwing the touchdown to Ryan Swope. But this play, he just throws it up there, just chucks it. Edward Pope comes down with this play, and Manziel threw the ball 45 yards, and it was for, what, a 12-yard gain or something like that? It was more than that because it was third and twelve. It was like it was like a fifteen yard gain or something like that. But Manziel threw yeah. it forty five yards, and it was a play that if A and M goes on to win this game, we would probably look back on that play in the same way that we look back on the twenty twelve play, being like, "Oh man, Johnny being Johnny, like that's just that's him right there." And even though it's yeah. a throw that every single football coach in America tells you not to make, he makes it. He had and he got to, away with yeah. it. Uh, yeah, that play. There's another one late in the game in, like, like the fourth quarter. There, He made, like, three, I think, on, the, on like, the last touchdown drive. The game's mm-hmm. over. The game is, is all but over. And he makes, like, three plays where he rolls out to his right and, and somehow gets away from one guy. And, and, again, this defense, this defense had so much – here, hold on. Let me count it again, okay? Um – this defense had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 players that played professional football. That's too many on the field at once. Yes. And he ran circles around all of them, it seemed like. And, and especially on this play, um, he rolls out. I think, I think Evans ends up coming back for a pass or something like that. It just, it, no matter what what he did, he was just electric and everything seemed to be working that day. I thought, too, the play where Mansell, and this looks simple because you see quarterbacks who can outrun linebackers all the time, but for whatever reason, one of the most impressive things that I've seen Mansell do in either of these two years was this play in which he runs right past CJ Mosley. And it's like coming like towards the near sideline where he gets around the edge. And it's a play where I know CJ Mosley, like I mentioned, he's not known for being a sack guy per se, but he tracks down everyone. Right. And Manziel sideline, somehow sideline. Gets, gets the edge against him where that's why when you saw his 40 time and you're like, wait a minute, I thought Manziel was so much faster than that. It's because of plays like that that you look back on and you're like, no, no, no. His game speed is right. a different level, and you got reminders of that throughout this game for sure. The whole time. The Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. Um, you might go in a different direction. I haven't mentioned him for this category. I don't really like to because we spend so much time talking about Manziel. But if there was ever a, a game in which you're convinced – Yes, he's going to make it in the NFL. It's probably it's this one more so than the 2012 game. Yeah. And everybody knows there's the off the field stuff, so there it's by no means is is it like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe he somehow did it make it in the NFL." We just didn't see that coming. But if we're just talking about the on the field stuff with some of the things that he is able to do as a passer to stretch the field and the good with the bad you take with him, it's incredible. And it's incredible to think of yeah. how good he was on this day when you take into when you take into perspective what he went through in the offseason, a lot of which was self-induced, and to think that he could be that ready to go to face that Bama defense and to come out and perform like that when there's so much pressure on him and all the hype going into that offseason and on this game. I just thought Manziel did things in this game that just made me think, man, 
I wish he could have gone to the right situation. I wish he could have had his life yeah. figured out, and I wish I could have gotten to see him play in the NFL. So that's why I want to bring him up for this. I'd agree with that. Um, I guess for me, it's hard because, I don't know, I mean, like, HaHa's played a decent amount through his uh, career. He's with the Bears right um, now, or at least, well, yeah. I mean, he's hopefully going to be. And he, he's been like an all, he's been like an all pro, I feel like, at times too, right? I don't know. Um, so I would have him on there, maybe, because he hasn't, I think he's kind of fallen off. He went from being, I think, like a, a good safety that made a Pro Bowl or two to not as much. Um, the other one, TJ Yeldon. I, I think he's still in the league, or maybe he's not now at this point. With the Bills, he's a guy that was was like he got he was forgotten pretty fast. I mean, that just from his pedigree of like being a five star, one of the top running backs in the country, and having a good career at Bama. Um, that one, and then I, I tell you what, you know what? Actually, the best one, Cyrus Quandro. Oh yeah, Cyrus Quandro was a three star. I'm sorry, well, a five star ranked number three, I think overall, like in the country. Um, had a very awkward signing day. Where he committed to Auburn, or signed with Auburn, or committed to Auburn, and then went back on it like 24 hours later. Nothing um, happened during so that, that time one. at all. It's just a ch- it's natural change of heart. Nothing ever happens. Well, his brother that time. was already at. I don't, well, I mean, I don't. Whatever. His brother was already at Bama. He said. He said when he went up there, he didn't know who he was going to choose. I'm sure we paid him, but I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I'm sure Auburn was going to as well. So it's like I don't think we like outbid him at the last minute. Um, and to be honest, he probably went to a better situation anyway. He wasn't going to play over Greg Robinson. Fair. So, there That's you go. Fair. Debunk your crap. That's fair. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, the other one. Okay, hold on. We're going to say when the losing, the losing team. No, we're not there yet. I, we're not there yet. Because. We're okay, Trent yeah, Richardson. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, we're, we're moving on with Trent Richardson. Go ahead. Because this is That's who I just brought. We just we were just on the Trent Richardson. I can't believe they didn't make him the NFL. Yeah. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching this. I got a few things. I got a few things. You're going to remember this yep. stuff, so I don't want to. You know, pretend like this is breaking news or anything like that. But I had one forgotten that AM jumped out to that 14 nothing lead. Um, again, I was, you know, covering a different game at the time yeah. during the day and during the hoopla of that and the timing of when this was going down, because I was covering a, a game that was played at eleven AM Central, noon Eastern. So didn't see the beginning of this game or anything like that, but remembered obviously the hype going into it and all that stuff. Um so they a year after, obviously, that AM got out to the 20 to nothing start at Bama, and it was just the most un Alabama like start to a game. How much, when they get up 14 0, in the middle of the first quarter, are you thinking that's to awful. yourself, here we go again? Oh, the, like that's the only thought I had. I mean, just like we're going to lose. The, like, like, just. It, it, uh, it is. It's <laughs> words, so because it's it's not it's not even. It makes me so mad when I watch a game and it's the uncharacteristic. There are twelve penalties in this game. That's the second most in the history of of a Saban coach team at Bama. You know when the most the were game? last year's Iron oh. Bowl. No, last year's Iron Bowl. I think we only had eleven against against Louisville. But like th- that, it's it's when they lo- they didn't miss a single field goal, which was good. But it's it's when you do stuff. That is uncharacteristic of a Bama team is what pisses me off. So you have that – they go right down the field. They go right down the field, and you could just already see it. And I was like, Jesus Christ, here we go. They, they're, Evans seems seemingly blanket coverage on Evans. John Fulton, who – I was very excited for John Fulton when he was being recruited as a four-star top 100, top 247 guy out of Columbia, South Carolina, and chose Bama over South Carolina. Very excited for John Fulton. Man, he had a tough day. Man, he had a tough day. He was going up against one of the best receivers in the country, but man, he had a rough day. And it was tough to watch that. And then after that happens, they get the ball. Um, They they march right on the field. They score. 
and then Bama gets the ball. You have two penalties after you, the first play of the game. It's like a seven-yard run. It's immediately followed by two penalties, and it was like, oh my god, we're gonna it, like they get the ball, and then AJ's he's misfiring, like way off, way off target in his first drive. I, I just calmed down. I was sure. I th- that wasn't something I was gonna be able to do <laughs> that day. I, I I was the amount of cleaning that I did. I'm not just saying this. It was ridiculous. That whole that whole apartment off Peachtree Drive or Peachtree Road looked. It 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 smelled like a new swimming. Immaculate. It, it was, it was immaculate. <laughs> I was so pissed. It, I, I just I couldn't get it. It was like we had the whole off season, the whole off season to prepare for this stupid ass game, and this is what we do. And then I calmed. Then down. you relaxed a little bit. Kind of until until something else happened. Okay. Go ahead. Before I I wanted I want to discuss that. The other thing that I wanted to say that I forgot was that Amari was shut out after the first quarter. He did recover A and M's yeah. onside kick. But that was about it. Like up until for three quarters, he was totally, totally silent, and Bama still had this good of an offensive day. The the two two of the worst rule enforcements that I've ever seen in a game, and this goes both ways. Oh my god! First, the one that we texted about, you've mentioned before on this podcast. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I have. I want to say I want to see you have. I want. I'm pretty sure that you did. Uh, not too long ago when we were talking about targeting penalties. Okay, yeah. Ha ha Clinton Dix. When there's this play in which um, Mansell throws throws deep left sideline and it looks like Ha ha Clinton Dix meets the receiver and because the angle that he's coming at, the receiver kind of goes down hard. So real time, all right. On the A&M sideline. Yeah, side on line. the A&M sideline. A&M, you know, the entire bench is going kind of berserk. Real time, looks like a, a bang-bang play, awkward angle, guy hits the deck. Okay. Replay, you see that Haha Clinton Dix was not only going for the ball and just had his hands out, but did not contact him with his helmet, yet they called targeting on this play, and they were reviewing it for him to be ejected on a play in which oh no. he didn't even have any sort of, like, uh, you know, hit on a defenseless receiver, anything like that. It was it was a weird angle, and he stuck his hands out. And he like he like ran into his hands. It was it was strange. And I know that you had a very animated reaction to watching this. This is unequivocally, hands down, the worst reaction I have ever had during an Alabama football game in my entire oh. life. This is, and I want you honestly to think about that for a second. And it's going to get uncomfortable to think about. You think about how unhinged I can be in normal everyday life. This was, it was, it. when it happened, I was like, I yelled picked because I thought he was going to be able to intercept it. Okay. There was zero part of me that thought that was, that was targeting. But at the time, and I, I guarantee you when we talked about this was when we redid a 2013 game or whatever, because they had just rewritten this rule where... The, the whole deal was, it's targeting, you're thrown out of the game, and it's a 15-yard penalty. And you're right, I have talked about it on this mm-hmm. podcast before because of this. Um, and it's a 15-yard penalty right off the bat. And then they will review it. And they are ta- the, the refs were taught to make that call and then go back to review it. So at the very least, it's a 15-yard penalty for passing no interference or unsportsmanlike yep. conduct or whatever it was, no matter what. And, I, and it was second and 12, I believe. And I was irate. I, I we got several noise complaints. <laughs> we had someone that came 
and 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 thought that it was like a domestic situation yeah. because of how much I was screaming, and I was like, "F you! You gotta be effing kidding me!" I mean, though it is, again, the I don't even know the examples. The kick six, either pick six from last year, Came maybe back. I don't know. I, that, I was so drunk in that game that it, it didn't have anything to do with it. I, I remember just like blowing spit bubbles on the way out of that, that game. But I mean, like, it, it, was, it was so bad and so egregious. It, it is, again, hands down the worst reaction I have ever had to watching an Alabama football game. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And, and there have been some, some moments that you would think, wow, that, that didn't warrant that. Because, again, it was overturned. It was well, overturned and he was able to stay in the yeah. game. But they left the penalty. But so it, so it, it, it happens in the second quarter, and like Connor was saying, HaHa Clinton Dix, who's at the time one of the best safeties in the country, and and get like really big credit to Gary Danielson on this play. Yeah, yeah, he called it right because he was on it from mm-hmm. jump, and he was like, "That's not a that, that it, look, he's going for the Dude, ball." What do you want him to do? He, look, what do you want him to do? Like, and you and I saw it as it happened in real time. I saw him put his hands up, and I thought at the time, that's a great move to like. Because it, it does kind of look like he, he like, ducked his head maybe or something like that in real time. But he never led with the crown of the helmet. He never, he never like, what, what's it called? Like, uh, all I can think of the word is eject, and that's not the right word. Launched. launched he never yeah. launched or anything like that, right? I, I was trying to eject, I, like, out of, the, out of the building when this was <laughs> happening. But, like, so he, he never launches, and, and it's, it's, they show it in, in like, the replay. And, and I'm before the replay, I'm screaming, there's no effing way that's a targeting penalty. There's no effing way. They showed the replay, and I was right. It was not at all. It was a phenomenal play where, where he even touches the ball first before the receiver. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. It was thing. a phenomenal play. He has his hands up, which where the, where the angle of the ball was, his hands had to be even with his head. So there's no way. You put your hands up over your head right now, and you tell me how you go helmet to helmet <laughs> with somebody. Like, that is the most awkward YMCA dance ever. And it was such BS. And, and then regardless of what happened, they got a 15-yard penalty out of it. That pissed me off so much. That rule was such... You know what? Hold on. I haven't had one yet. That rule was such bullshit. It wasn't even funny. There you go, Will. <laughs> if it was the, uh, if you're talking about the angles in which, if you're trying to picture how this looked, and you don't want to go on YouTube right now. Uh, Do it right now. It's like uh, the AM receiver was running the Y axis, the Y axis, and Haha Clinton Dix was running the the hypotenuse. And so, if you can picture what God, that looks why like, you, why was that your? What are you if doing? If you can picture what that looks like. The high pot going that way. It's impossible to have that kind of hit in that spot. And that's why it was so weird and so weird to see it called because obviously it had some big time implications at the time. It wasn't weird to see it called because that's what they that's what they were taught to do. And you kind of felt that it was coming. But in that moment it was such BS that it was called because they couldn't undo it. And on top of that, like they they even brought it up because I'm sitting here thinking, like, all right, we had like you look at this team and you're like, all right, well, they still have Landon Collins. Jarek Williams is a senior. They have this guy. They have this guy. They have this guy. But HaHa Clinton Dix is one of the best safeties in the country. Led the team in, in interceptions, I think, the year before and was all SEC this year. This is a huge call and a huge momentum swing if he is ejected from this game. Yes. There was another play. Um, by the way, um, an A&M defender in this game was flagged for playing without a helmet. That was horrible. They flagged him 15 yards for playing without a helmet after a Bama player ripped it off. And it was a defensive player on A&M side. So, okay, I say that because that's a little bit of like, all right, 
it kind of, it, in a way, it kind of makes up for it because that rule itself is so ridiculous and one-sided. Yeah. They, for I think this was only a 2013 thing, but imagine being yeah. a defensive player. You get your helmet ripped off by a player on the offensive side, and you keep playing, and you try and make a tackle, and they flag the guy whose helmet got ripped off, and they say right. that, oh, nope, you can't do that. As soon as you get your helmet off... As soon as you get your helmet ripped off, you, as a defensive player, have to stop. Meanwhile, if you're an offensive player and you get your helmet ripped off, they stop the play. So right. how that rule was ever voted on and decided is just ridiculous. But that was a horrible, horrible enforcement. Awful. And to see it play out on this stage, yeah, that made me mad watching it. If you rewatch the play, and I know there's going to be at least one a-hole listening to this, and I shouldn't say that, but there's going to be one person who's like, see, Bama gets all the calls. <laughs> Well, that's I, 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 I know there will be at least one. Yeah, of course. So it, on this play specifically, Brandon Green, who I, the only thing I ever remember about Brandon Green is that he caught, on the first play of overtime against LSU in 2014, he caught a trick play. Like a, they had a trick play pass that he, he caught for 24 yards out of the one-yard line. And then Dominic Jackson's dumbass came in and, and had a late hit right after. God, he could not do anything <laughs> that game. I think it was Dominic Jackson. It was Leon Brown, sorry. Anyway. So, yeah, it was Leon Brown. So, in the, in this play, um, they show the replay, and I was like, surely it has to be on Bama, because they, it, the guy was already on the sidelines, because he used to sit out yeah, the next play. Yeah, he sit out the next play. Because his helmet yeah. came out. And they're showing the replay, and Brandon Green, not only as he's trying to, quote-unquote, block him, he's got a fistful of jersey. He punches up, and the bottom of his palm hits, hits the base of his helmet, and that's what knocks the helmet off, Right. And then, and then after that, he's still trying to make the play. And the stretchability on this jersey was really on display. <laughs> and it just, I don't know who made I think it's, I think they're an Adidas brand. Um, but he is holding so badly. It's like, I, I want to say it had to have been like a foot away from the shoulder pad. That's how bad the holding was on the play. And they missed both. Yep. And they got him for a 15. It was, it was a terrible call. I'll tell you what, another terrible call. Um, that play where Manziel, where Manziel threw like the thing off his back foot, that should have been offensive pass interference because Haha Clinton Dix was literally sitting under the under the ball, and then whoever the receiver was that caught the ball just came barreling into him and hits him, but they didn't they didn't call it. So it's whatever. It's essentially it. like five hundred. You know, you ever play like five hundred? It's exactly pool? like five hundred. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Same sort of thing. I didn't play it in the pool. It's I, yeah. Did you play that with a shirt on? And not in the pool. Not, Why would so. I do that? That's yeah. Totally. Me neither, man, bro. Of course not. <laughs> Did you have anything else that you that you forgot about? Uh, you remembered everything. You remembered everything from this game. Don't get. Come on. Everything. Yeah. Everything. I, I did. I did forget how much I dislike Trader Price, and I always remember that every time I see him on the on the screen. And Adrian Hubbard. And 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 I remember my dad saying this about Adrian Hubbard, and he was like, he's like Adrian Hubbard just refuses to give effort, and it, he's like six seven two forty. He's from Norcross High School, which is the same region as I was in in high school. And you just kind of thought he was going to be the next guy. When when, when they were recruiting Camara, who came from Norcross High School, um, Kirby went to go recruit him and, and took Adrian with him. And he, he six seven two forty didn't play didn't play football until he was like a junior in high school. It just had all the measurables. You thought it was going to be great. You go back and watch the kick six, and you tell me which player on that team was half assing to the sideline. And he did that. Se- there were several times in this game where I thought maybe I was being too hard on him. And then I saw Kirby light. He ran off the field, and 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 Bam had to play a, a a down with only ten players. Tough to do. Tough to do. Tough to do. Had enough problems with eleven. Um, when the losing team blew it, 
We're going to have different answers to this, maybe. Um, I thought it was... As soon as they walked on the field. <laughs> I thought it was the 73-yard uh, Vinny Sinceri pick six. Manziel throwing into this tight window when they are trying to... Um, they're, they're down. It's 28-14, to 14, and it looks like A&M is potentially going to be in position to you know maybe make it a 28-21 game. And Manziel throws into this tight window. The ball gets tipped. It went off... Who seam, went off? Yeah. It went off. Jarek uh, Williams yeah, made a went great off play. his helmet. Got his hand. Yeah, up. and um, and Sinceri comes down with it. He fakes out Manzel on this run back. Fakes out like three other dudes Badly. too. Like ran over an AM lineman also, and then dives into the end zone. It was that made it thirty-five to fourteen, and was just such a key key moment in the game. It was Manzel's mistake, but that's the you take the good with the bad. He's gonna try and make throws like that. That's. That's who he is. If you're asking Johnny Manziel to stop being Johnny Manziel, you're not going to get all of the you know tight windows and, and 50-50 balls that he kind of allows his playmakers to go make. But this one did not go his way. You just, as great as AM was, they weren't going to come back from down 21 to that Bama defense. They weren't going to quite be able to do that. It's different if you're talking 14. But 21 against that defense that day, it, maybe not that day, but that year, wasn't going to happen. No. If Bama had blown it, it would have been another TJ Yeldon fumble. Another, another one. Another one. DJ Khaled. When he coughs it up on the five with eight minutes left, Bama is up 42 to 28. Now, to understand why this is significant, oh my God. the score, 42 to 28. So you're on the five-yard line, and I understand Bama can't kick worth a crap, but Bama should be able to make a 22-yard field goal to make it a three-score game at worst. All you got to do, hold on to the ball. Don't turn the ball over. And then Yeldon gets just demolished by a pair of AM defenders, and he can't hold on to the ball. The one thing you can't do in that spot, and he does it. And again, just like he did the year I, before against a and has the costly fumble that you're just like, oh my gosh, how is this happening right now? If you're a Bama fan, which, Marler, your reaction to that at the time <laughs> was what? We're going to lose. Oh, you legit thought I, that. I, but here, here, Connor, roughly eight seconds later, Johnny yes. Manziel hit Mike Evans on a 95-yard touchdown. Like, again, which, well, actually it was not good coverage. but It was okay. Yeah, I was like... It was okay. It was like, bad. Think, think about this. You're up 35 to 14. You're up, they, they go up 14 nothing. You're up 35 to 14. And arguably, you've got points that you still left on the board. Mm. Okay? Then it's it's 35, it's it's 42 to 21 in the fourth quarter. This game is over. This game is absolutely over. Bama is gonna do what Bama does, and they're gonna lean on them and put them away and bury them. Okay? And then the game is over. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. I don't know why Nussmeyer decided to not have a lead blocker. The touchdown play that Luke talked about, that it's the same yep. thing. It's this like, why is there not a lead blocker? It, this is an offense that ran with a lead blocker a lot of the times. It was still a run-first offense. I don't understand why. And listen, I tell you what, this pissed me off all year, and I don't care if, if I'm getting too animated right now because it, it, it was something that happened multiple times. And if you don't believe me, Bama fans will probably remember this. The Iron Bowl. In the fourth quarter, when you have a lead in that game and you have fourth and one on their 29-yard line, you know damn well they're not going to kick a field goal because they couldn't physically kick a field goal. 
they they get the ball and they run the same exact formation, double tight ends with with one back, and he doesn't get it. This happened a decent amount, and I know now that I think about it, I'm contradicting myself because I said, you know, they they could have run it at will on this, and and, and for the most part, it seemed like they really did. That was that was the play. That was the play that AM needed, and as you said, the to turn around and have that 95 yard touchdown to Mike Evans, where all of a sudden, without that sequence, without those two plays happening. I'm not sure that we're talking about this game today. I'm not sure it's yeah. remembered in the same sort of light, but it was sort of that, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this can happen. Maybe AM is going to pull off this epic comeback, and we are going to see another incredible chapter of the Johnny Manziel era. Right. That, however, was the high point for AM in that comeback attempt, and they couldn't quite get that stop that they needed. And that's why I say early on, if you can have a guy in that spot of knowing what's at stake, guy who's played in a couple national championships, A.J. McCarron is your guy. And he made some big-time plays. And as I said earlier, Bama was still willing to throw the ball to be able to get that final score, that final score, just give him that cushion because they needed that cushion. Yeah. And they got it. And that's what ultimately held off AM in this thrilling back-and-forth offensive-fueled game that – to be honest, rewatching it, didn't really want it to end. Could have watched another game, another yeah. three hours of that easily. But no, tell me more about that 2012. Game. All right, I'll, I'll admit, you're right. You know what? You're right. It was overall, <laughs> yeah, it was better. It, just, it was better. It, overall, it's better. And 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 I tell you what, and I'm, I'm not just saying this as as a band fan because I think it's I think it's fair to say, if you don't believe that the world loves seeing Bama lose, and I get why. I hate watching the Yankees win. Not just because I'm a Red Sox fan. And yes, if you didn't know that, I I honestly don't know if I'm going to be a Red Sox fan anymore. The cheating thing pissed me off. They became the Yankees. They basically just became the Yankees anyway. And then on top of that, what Nesson put out today about Jared Siddham being better than, than, I know it wasn't their their take. Man. Anyway, yeah, good point. Okay, moving on. Here, So we do have a different answer for this one. When the losing team blew it. Second and 15. Okay. Second and 10, I feel like Bama got a pretty good play and was close. Oh, boy. Close to the first down. But something happened. This is like fourth quarter, uh, seven-point game, right? Bama does not want uh, Johnny Mandel getting the ball back. And they're talking about it nonstop. How, man, how do you feel as a Bama fan having to give the ball back to Johnny Not Manziel great, probably. <laughs> yeah, not great, Bob. Um, it's, it's five minutes to go. It's a seven-point game. It's 42 to 35 at the time. They have just thrown this 95-yard pass. And, and I'm telling you this right now. Outside of the interception that he threw, which you could also argue that maybe, like, the first one he threw in the end zone, you kind of argue that's where they lost. Um, when you don't throw I mean, a Mike Evans early and you decide to throw that lazy fade to the opposite side, I have no idea what the logic was behind that play. But it was that play was the single dumbest play that Johnny Manziel made all day. And I'm not sure if he admitted that after doubt. that, but it was. There's no question. Now, Cyrus Jones is 5'10", and maybe that's why they did it. He thought he was attacking the, the right side of the field. But they didn't have an answer for Mike Evans all day long. I mean, th- this is like essentially what we saw in the – I'm not saying this to be mean, Georgia fans, but the 2012 game of Georgia-Bama, when Bama just kept running the football in the second half and, and all that kind of stuff, this was like that. All you do is throw the ball to Evans. You know it's a better example? I'm sorry. I, the better example is what um, the Amari Cooper-Auburn game. In 2014. That's all they had to do is just give the ball to Evans. I don't know why they didn't do it on this specific play. Regardless, um, second and 15, uh, the second and 10 play 
it's like, oh God, we're behind the chains already. What are we going to do? I think we had had like a decent play call or something happened, but we had a false start. Or it was a legal procedure. And it was supposed to be like third and three or something. Ends up being second and 15. And they run a, a, a play action pass, I believe, and hit OJ Howard for a first mm. down. And I tell you what, there are, I mean, I can't tell you how tight I was watching that play. <laughs> and then afterwards, I felt great. <laughs> what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? Oh, this is going to make me mad. Uh, on the Bama side, I don't know if that much would have changed because... You're so wrong. No, hear, hear me out on this. Obviously, like, they still would have had a chance at a national championship because we know what happened with AM. AM finishes 4-4 four and four in the SEC. So they're not exactly going head-to-head with them for a spot in the SEC championship. And if Bama had continued to win games, obviously we don't know for sure. But Bama has always bounced back from a regular season loss. There's a reason that during you know the decade of dominance, whatever you want to call it, 2010, 2019. Those are the regular season losses in which Saban's Alabama's team, you know, multiple uh, regular season losses that they've they've suffered. So, would it have changed the Iron Bowl? I don't, I don't think that you can definitively say that it would, just because you've got two and a half months in between that, and yeah. so much can happen. So much can change how we think of these two teams. When, obviously, it's a big boost for Bama to be able to get this win. No doubt about it. No doubt. But I don't know if that can definitively, we'd be like, oh, yeah, Bama would have been so much more locked in because they wouldn't have had that loss to give. When, obviously, like they didn't have the loss to give against Auburn either. So they knew what was at stake in, in that game as well. You're disagreeing. You're shaking your head on this. Go ahead. Well, two reasons why, Connor. Here's one. Did you notice that? This is just pure petty. Did you notice that in the final drive they called a horse collar tackle on Manziel? Mm-hmm. All right. That would have been nice to have a couple weeks later in mid-October when they when Manziel was also playing a Against home game. Against Auburn. Yep. That's that's one thing I, I didn't really enjoy rewatching. Um, you're right. You're right to an extent, I think, and and, and you maybe you're more right than wrong. And, and I'll take it. <laughs> so, so one of, the, one of the things that I would agree with is, and this is something that was said a lot that year, was that when when you talk about this Bama team, because the kick six is like, oh my gosh, like we were so close. I still maintain if they beat the, if they beat Auburn, that I think they would have beaten Florida State. I just think if you give Saban that much time and it's against the former yeah. assistant, I think they win that game, um, and I think that's fair to say. Now the other side of that. If you talk to anybody that was close to the situation with Bama or read any of the stuff that was written about this team, there was there was apparently writing on the wall all season long about this team, hmm. where the younger guys weren't buying in. Um, you know, AJ wasn't like as good of a leader as they were saying. There was a lot of like um, division in the locker room for this team. I don't know how much that's true. I don't know how much that changes. I, if that is true, I would. And Luke may be a guy that would that would have a better answer for that. But I, if that is true, then I would lean towards the fact that, yeah, they probably don't win the national championship. They probably get another loss. Maybe. Okay. I don't know who it would, to, who it would be to because they trounced LSU. That wasn't mm-hmm. close. And they were beating Auburn with less than a minute to go in the game until several legal plays were <laughs> happened. I think they probably beat Mizzou um, in the SEC championship. Yeah. And I think if you get 40 days, they, they probably figure out a way to beat 
Florida State. But I mean, again, that's that is admittedly coming from a place of bias. And just but what we had seen, it was unfathomable to think anything else. They had they had won three of the past four national titles. As I said to many Auburn fans that year before the kick six, Alabama has won more national titles in this Olympiad than they than Auburn has in their entire program history. And there's several other teams you could say that for. I'm not going to name them right now. I'll let you do it. I'm what not going to name them. Who I'm not going to name them. Okay, don't do it. That's, it's a, that's your, you're a better person than me. But anyway, the, the whole point is I, I, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of reason to say that Bama probably could have could have pulled that off. At the same time, this is also a team that gave up 628 yards of offense to yep. to A&M, mm-hmm. and we did not see that coming either. So I think there are um, a couple things on the A&M side that could yep. have changed with, the, with A&M winning this game. It's too easy to sit here and say that this would have flipped the script on the season. Um, I, I, maybe their focus is a little bit tighter after this. I, I don't know. But that defense had major issues. Major, major issues. issues. They finished the year 96th in scoring. They let up 306 rushing yards against Rice and 240 rushing yards against Sam Houston State. I don't care if you're missing starters because of your suspensions. That's a bad omen. That is a bad omen yeah. every single time. They lost multiple games this year in which they scored 40 points. I mean, I get that's tough I to get do. it, the Auburn thing. You should have had the horse collar penalty for Manziel. They should have probably been able to win that game. But you know what? Don't let up 45. Don't let up 45, and maybe you, you have a better yeah. chance and you don't leave that up to chance like that. This team let up 48 points to Duke. I mean, come on. Like, and a win. <laughs> I just don't think that they had the long-term chops on D. And credit to Gary. We make fun of Gary a lot. He had that yeah. diagnosed to a T. He said, you know what? This defense has major long-term issues. Kevin Sumlin can come away from this game feeling good about his offense, but my goodness, he should be worried about his defense because it wasn't just that they had seen it against Bama. It was the first three games of the year, they got smashed, and they just got flat-out run over. And you saw constantly they couldn't tackle in space, and they could not stop the bleeding. And if you're asking Johnny Manziel to win you every single game by scoring 45 points, that's too much. And... I think yeah. it took a toll on him that year. So I don't think that this ultimately, this win would have made AM an infinitely better team. It obviously would have maybe added to the legacy of Johnny Manziel to be able to beat Bama twice like that. And during that right. time frame, that's an incredible thing. I still think they would have had their issues that year. The one thing, though, that it definitely would have changed, Kevin Sumlin's bank account, which yep. I know he got paid at the end of this regular season, you know, the day of the Mizzou game. But he's getting a lot more money if he's beaten Saban twice in his first two years. There is no doubt cool. in my mind that buyout would have been even higher when AM had to pay that in 2017. And at the time, who, had any, who else had done that? Less? Less had beaten him multiple times, Spurrier at different places. So, yeah, I mean, to, to beat him twice in a row like that, that would have been a feather in the cap if there ever was one yeah. at that time. So, But other than that, I don't think – and that's kind of the thing about this game being played in September. You can kind of appreciate it for what it was, and it didn't necessarily kill AM's national championship chances, but obviously it made the path that much more daunting. Right. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this, I think we're going to have different ones. Yeah, we will. I have uh, TJ Yeldon's um, Money Manziel in Double Throat Slash. Same. Oh, you had that. No way. 
So oh, it's that. it's that, and then the other because I just. You know, I, I love Johnny Manziel now. I really do, and it's so much fun to go watch him play and all that kind of stuff. Man, I was so tired of hearing about him that season. I, I think was he just, was tired was of so hearing tired. about him that season. Probably so. I, I was just, I was over it, and, and to go down 14 nothing. there was two things that happened. Uh, the one where they tied it up, I be, actually, no, it was the, it was, it, it was either when they tied it up 14-14 or they went up 21-14. One thing we haven't talked about that, that was really interesting about this game is when you look at the stadium itself, it's night and day to what it is now. Kyle Field, it's it's not even a full bowl. Yeah, I noticed bottom. that too. I noticed that too. It's weird. That was, that was I, I totally, that would have been probably what I forgot mm-hmm. about, uh, to be honest. It was like, because it's like, they have these like weird grandstands like thrown in like a high school game almost. Um, Very old-fashioned. In, in, like yeah. the, in one of the end zones. And it's like, this is odd. And so, because it's so loud, it's it's not even their biggest sell. Anyway, bottom line, it was just, it was um, kind of, it, that, that part was kind of surprising. But you see AJ look at them uh, at, when they tied it up or when they went to go ahead and touchdown um, and gives a salute to the, mm. like the students, which That's I, good. you know, was maybe not the best, um, maybe not the best sportsmanship. I don't know. Um, but then the, the TJ Yeldon thing, it, God, he hit that so it was just so smooth. It was twenty-eight it was to fourteen so too, right after he did it, and so Bamba has just scored twenty-eight points to storm back. And there's what like a minute left in the first half, or forty-five seconds left in the first half. Yeah, and he does the double. He does the Manziel money sign, and then the double throat slash, and immediately gets flagged fifteen yards for it. Does it right in front of the official. Right. And Saban just rips him. Gets to the sideline because it, it's 15 yards added to the kickoff. And he's like, what are you right. doing to be able to give Manziel like a shorter field with this Short much time field, left? Yeah. And thankfully for him, AM didn't score there. But I I have moments watching TJ Yeldon where like I get how good he was. And he was a great player. Yeah. But I love to know why Saban is still putting him in late in games with some of the maddening things that he would do because between that and the fumbles, and you're just like, is your head like all the way in the right place that it needs to be right now? Because, right. you know, Bama's, Bama's competing at too high of a level for that not to be the case. I, one day, when TJ Yeldon's NFL career is done, and maybe, you know, that'll be in a couple years. Hopefully, he continues to be able to have success in the NFL. Um, but when his NFL days are done, I'd love to have him on the podcast and just get all yeah. the stories about saving him, about saving ripping him a new one because. He had so many moments in his career like that where as great as he was, you just got to wonder how bad he got it from saving it. It had to be terrible. I, I mean, I, I remember I remember saying this to, to Ali when we were watching it, and I was like, Saban lit his ass up oh, on yeah. the sidelines. And he did. And and I said, now watch T.J. Yeldon because he didn't give a <laughs> blank. <laughs> I was like, I, and I thought, like, listen, man. Like, I mean, Johnny Football is an incredible athlete, incredible story, all that kind of stuff. We all love him. We, we love to hear, you know, all these great stories about him. We were tired of it. You know, I, I, I think that, like, Saban said when it happened, they said they asked him, like, going into half, like, you know, his thoughts. And I don't know if it was just that play, but he's like, we don't do that here. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason he was mad was because of that. I really do. I think a much larger reason why he was mad about that is because he gave Johnny Football a shorter field. Yeah. I, I think people just people were over it, man. They were over it, and 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 I think, you know, that makes it in the same way that people get tired of Bama now or Tua or or any of that kind of stuff. It's just it's just, it was the same thing. We might have a couple people who are tired of Bama now because we have done two consecutive. It just meant it just meant more with yeah. Bama. So I promise next week we will not have Bama. I also promise we will take a break. 
from either 2013 or 2014. We'll stay away from those two years. I realize we've done a lot of that. We will also not be doing any Johnny Mansell games in the near future. We've done three, and a guy who played two seasons, that's kind of a lot, but you know what? Yeah. It happens, and he was part of a very important and interesting time in the SEC. So we will have, who's, we'll, we'll figure out a team that we haven't done in, in a hot minute. I feel like we haven't done Florida in a little while. That could be an interesting one to go back to Florida or Georgia, yeah, for that. something like that. We haven't done a cocktail party game. Maybe that's our next one. That's true. Could be, I like yeah, that. While we're on the subject of you know rivalry games and all that. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this. Thanks again to Luke for coming on. Great to hear those insights uh, from, from our good crazy. buddy Luke. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll just start doing that every once in a while. If we have a connection like that, we can just get somebody on the phone, kind of break up the, the middle of the It Just Meant More pod, and hear some stuff that maybe they can tell better than we can. Yeah, Will's had that idea. For I know. Months. That's why I was so happy to tell him today that I did it. Because I, I did <laughs> yeah. it, and then I told him about it after. And he was like, oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. That's good enough. That's awesome. All right. Good deal. All right. Well, It Just Meant More, all that good stuff. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you for allowing uh, me to... Thank you for allowing me to indulge in whatever. I don't know the phrase. <laughs> hey, uh, Johnny Mansell, what do we need to remember? Marla just did the double throat slash at me, and I feel very threatened. I'm going to flag you for that. Flag. <laughs> All right. Y'all have a good one, guys.